0: Welcome to episode 216 of the actual astronomy podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So, so Shane, we're, we're, we're we record these podcasts. Like we like, enjoy talking about astronomy with each other. And we, we get on the zoom call and we start talking about astronomy. That is the whole purpose for doing this podcast and we almost forgot to record the
1: podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We always have our little chit chat prior to recording. Um, and sometimes the chit chat is uh, maybe better than the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, we were, we were on a dangerous path of uh, having a great conversation and, and maybe not recording any podcasts. So yeah.
0: Yeah. No. So um, yeah. So just to kind of bring people into the conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, um, you know, uh, the other, I think last week, Shane, you had mentioned that you were looking at um, seeing if you could locate uh, Takahashi um, TSA-102. So, um, you know, I always think of it as like the Transportation Safety Administration or, or whatever it's called. So it's the TSA, not the FS or the DC or the D or the FCT, because there's been a billion different kinds of Takahashi 100 millimeters. And frankly, I hear they're all pretty darn good. I have the 100 millimeter DC, which is the lightest one they ever made. And I modified it with a uh, two inch feather touch focuser. And the TSA that you're looking at also has a two inch feather touch focuser. And uh, yeah, so maybe you can just tell us a little bit about that and then
1: we'll continue with the conversation that we're having. Yeah, so I'm interested in the TSA 102 uh, for mm, two reasons. Uh, So number one, is anybody that uh, I've read about that's ever looked through one or used one uh, just talks about how incredibly amazing the views are. They're just sublime. Uh, some people have a hard time describing it. You know, they, they say they've looked through other four-inch, uh, uh, you know, apochromats that have been great, but there's just something special about this TSA telescope. Um, mm. So that's always been interesting to me. But they're uh, but, not
0: in production anymore, are they? They're they're out of production. You can't correct. Buy yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You can't you can't buy them anymore. Um, they rarely show up used because of how much I think love there is for these telescopes. And uh, when they do show up used, they often sell quickly. Um, so anyway, the other reason too why I wanted a TSA is it uh, it will accept my Bino viewer without any modifications, like no mm-hmm. Barlow's or anything.
0: Yeah, and
1: the reason. I know that is because Bill Paoloni wrote an extensive review on my vinyl viewer with his TSA and, you know, documented it all. So, so that was very intriguing to me. Um, so what I did is I put out a few want ads on Astro Mart, um, and then the Canadian Astro Buy Sell website, uh, hoping that I could find one. And really in the back of my mind, I thought that this search is probably like a one to two year endeavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just with some of this uh, rare gear that people really like, you have to be patient if you want it. Yep. Um, and then part of it too is right place at the right time. So anyway, right.
0: I, and right scope, like you could find one and it's trashed, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point too. Yeah. So um, I had no illusions that I would uh, find one anytime soon. Um, but before I really got serious about this, um, the one thing that I was really, I guess mostly concerned about was the cool down time. Yeah. Um, you and I, Chris, we primarily use doublets. Doublets, uh, yeah. Which cool fairly quickly.
0: That means um, two lenses, folks. And this telescope has three. It's a triplet, right?
1: Uh yeah. Yeah. So this one's a triplet, which means it'll take longer to cool down, which you know, to be quite candid, that's why I've avoided triplets my whole kind of astronomy hobby lifetime. Um yeah. just for that reason. So um, when I re- was reading about Bill Pailoni's, uh, reviews or comments about his TSA, he often stated that the cool down time was no more than 20 minutes, which mm-hmm. is quite acceptable. Yep. However, I think Bill lives in California. We don't. <laughs> so our temperature swings are a little bit, uh, bigger, um, East Coast. He's on the East coast. Oh, he's That's on the, the East coast. I, oh, okay. I, unless he moved. I think no, moved. I, I, you're probably right. So, um, but anyway, what I, uh, uh, there's another astronomer that lives, um, in the neighboring province to us, very similar temperatures and climate. Um, he's a frequent poster or was a frequent poster on cloudy nights, uh, Tyson M, uh, Tyson and I have, uh, bought and sold gear from each other multiple times in the past. So I knew that he had had a TSA and he had sold it, but I wanted to find out from him what the cooling time would be like. So I emailed Tyson just to say, Hey, you know, thinking about this TSA. um, I know you used to have one. How did you, you know, how, uh, how long would it take to acclimatize? And, uh, he said really most of the time, no more than 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so that's very acceptable to me. And that was, uh, that was the stamp of, uh, approval that I needed to put on this, yeah. uh, this idea. Yeah. So anyway, Tyson and I exchange a few more emails. He shares some of the observations that he had with the TSA. He yeah. talked about Neowise in particular. Uh, like he said, it, it really had like a Brown hue to it. Wow. And, and like he could see the splitting of the nucleus, and and like the detail that he observed was was quite amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. it was it was a good correspondence. Um, and then about a week or so passed, and I got an email from Tyson, and he said, "Shane, you won't believe this. Um, the person that I sold my TSA to." Uh, contacted me. Um, he, I, apparently, this person really enjoys uh, Takahashi telescopes, has a number of them. That's why he bought the TSA. But he contacted Tyson to say, I haven't used this thing in like a year or two, or however long it was that he owned it. So he was asking Tyson if he would like to buy it back. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Tyson contacted me said, um, you know, I'm considering buying this back, but I have this LSOS with 115 millimeter triplet, apocromat. Uh, he said, so, you know, if I buy the TSA, then the LSOS has to go. I'm not sure what I want to do. Um, but he said, would you be interested in the LSOS if I get the TSA? Uh, and I said, sure. Like I'm interested in both actually, cause they're both binocular viewer friendly and they kind of, yeah. you know, tick all the boxes for me. Um, so, uh, I did say though, you know, my preference would be for the TSA. Um, and the reason that you and I were talking about before we pressed record primarily was the weight. Um, yeah. the, the Elzos is, a is, a, a again, it's another well-renowned refractor for outstanding optics. Um, and the extra 13 millimeters of aperture would be nice, but the telescope weighs twice as much as the TSA or approximately, yeah. like, I think it, I think the Alsos comes in around 20 pounds, like a six inch refractor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the TSA comes in, I think closer to like that 10 to 11 ish pounds. Yeah. So that really was a a, a big factor for me. So I, I said, my preference would be the TSA. And, uh, you know, fast forward to now, um, just finalizing the deal and, and I hope to take delivery of this, uh, TSA, maybe this coming week or the following Yeah, uh, it's coming from Eastern Canada. So it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't take too long to go once it's in the, once it's in the delivery mode. So, so excited for that
0: or, or central Canada as those from the East call it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Anything East from here is Eastern Canada to me. So (laughs) I know people always say that here and I'm like, that's not East.
0: They're like, what are you talking
1: about? Oh yeah. There's a coast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, because I've never looked through a TSA. I don't think I have anyway. Um, but I have looked through, uh, several tax, and let's see, I really want to compare it to my uh, 100 millimeter DC, because I kind of feel like these sit on, in a way, like the opposite ends of the tack spectrum, where mine is the smallest, uh, lightest weight doublet, and that's uh, yeah, of the four-inch variety, and then that's their four-inch uh, triplet. That's uh, I, I actually think that telescope is almost twice the weight of mine, even though it's only 11 or 11 point something pounds, I've been able to scale mine back to about uh, six pounds or so. So it's uh, going to be really cool to, to see the difference. I, I think I could almost make some predictions, but uh, yeah, I mean, what, yeah, like if you were going to predict what the difference between our two scopes would be, what what do you think they would be Shane?
1: Well, you know, I think most nights, I don't know if we would see a lot. Um, I, when, when you get to splitting hairs with with, uh, you know, high end eyepieces or optics of any kind. Yeah. I I think the, the variability really shows on the nights of outstanding conditions where you can really increase the magnification. Now I could be wrong on that entirely, but that's my assumption. So I think if we were to notice differences, it would be, uh, you know, planetary stuff with high magnifications is my guess now. I don't know yeah. for sure. Um, I, I've looked. There's these. Uh, I don't know. You've seen them, I'm sure, Chris. They're called spot diagrams that show yep. like the you know accuracy yep. of, of the lens and how it trans uh, transmits different wavelengths of light. Um, the TSA is one of the tightest spot diagrams that Takahashi has. I think the only one that really beats it is the uh, the FOA the FOA sixty, yeah. which yeah. many consider to be like the. I guess the best refractor they've ever made in terms of optical perfection. I don't know. Yeah. So, but only
0: 60 millimeters,
1: which is, yeah, fine. yeah. Yeah. It, it's limited that way, but, um, there's an excellent thread on cloudy nights about that telescope. And, uh, it just, it sounds like a really fun little telescope to have, but, but yeah, so that's my prediction would be on planetary stuff mostly, but what, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So I think, uh, somewhat on planetary, like maybe on like a really bright star. Cause I do notice, and this is this is uh, probably, and I haven't read a lot of people noticing this, but I just noticed that there's kind of like a bit of a faint, very, very faint halo of, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming this is just that residual chromatic aberration from, from using a doublet that's in, in the F7 range, really, uh, I think is what it boils down to. Like right tight on uh, the planets or stars, I, I don't really notice uh, anything at all. In fact, nothing, no secondary color. But I think, however, they've designed uh, the DC, I think you get this um, sort of very faint. And maybe I did read that uh, as well somewhere else that someone else had noticed that. Um, But like, unless you go looking for it, you you don't see it. Um, And man, things are like, I feel like um, the DC passes so much light. And I just wonder... I wonder if, like with Takahashi, you know, I assume kind of the glass is sort of a equal, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a sort of comparable quality. And it makes me wonder if by putting another optical surface in, if we'll notice any kind of difference in, uh, in light transmission or if the fact, like you were saying with the spot diagram, or if the uh, probably very marginally tighter, um, you know, uh, focus position. Is going to give you a uh, uh, an advantage for for seeing uh, like a fainter star. So I kind of really want to point it at um, some faint stars and then kind of mm. do a little bit of a of a back and forth. Then it's tough because then the focal length of your telescope. I think it's seventy six millimeters longer,
1: something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that.
0: Uh, let's see. Yeah, seventy six because mine's seven forty. Yours is going to be eight sixteen. So. It, it could be that the two or three uh, magnification difference when, when switching an eyepiece over would, uh, uh, would balance it out. So I, I imagine it's going to be fairly close, but yeah, I'm super excited to, uh, to see how how it performs. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to work really nice on your Sky T mount. That should be really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. The Sky T or the Stellar View M2C should handle it without any issues at all. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm excited. I, you know, it's not 100% official yet. Um, I haven't sent any funds. I'm just waiting for the uh, shipping quote to come through, and then I'll send you know the the whole lump sum. But uh, assuming that uh, the seller doesn't change his mind, I, I should hopefully have this thing real soon. And you know, I, I think what that also means, though, is yeah. You know, you know, there's got to be a telescope or two that leaves the stable uh when this thing comes in <laughs> so yeah. yeah so i'm uh depending on how much i like it or don't like it uh, i I'm, can't imagine i won't like it so i'm going with the assumption i'll keep it um then i have a decision to make about my uh televue genesis sdf um as well as my skywatcher 120 ed cuz yeah. you know the the more you climb up i, I know 102 is not far from 100 but it's also getting closer to 120 and i yeah. kind of suspect there won't be like a enormous difference between the 120 and the 102 so um if there's not a you know an enormous difference then you know again i have another decision to make about maybe selling two telescopes the genesis and the skywatcher
0: yeah i uh i i don't think i've ever used my 125 since i bought my 100 um, I felt that it was, pfft. yeah, so, cause my Pentax, um, 125 F6, which is in the Borg tube, um, I, I found I couldn't quite hit as high powers as I can with the tack. Mm-hmm. And even though I know people say it's like this quote unquote empty magnification or whatever, what happens when you do increase the, the image size itself is that um at least to me and and i know uh physicists who kind of proved this out who uh who stated that like having that larger i guess like maybe it's like the the angular size compared to the eye and how the eye works that you can have certain advantages and certainly uh like the tax scope uh, does give that so it's kind of uh uh a pretty amazing uh, little instrument uh, considering what, what it can do. And I imagine you're going to realize a similar performance out of the, uh, out of the, uh, one Oh two, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I'm super excited. I, I hope, I hope all of this happens. Um, the, uh, the, the, the knee jerk reaction would be to get rid of the teleview Genesis. Cause it's basically the same aperture 101 yeah. versus one Oh two. Um, but it, you know that Teleview Genesis is such a unique telescope um, for what it does. You know, there's a compelling reason to keep that telescope too. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do there. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: should be should be good. I'm also I, I really like the f/8 focal ratio, like the new um, 100 DC, like the one that uh, Peter got this week, um, and we'll talk about it in a sec. Is uh, is f/8 and and the TSA uh, 102 is also f/8. And I, I really like that. Cause I think like with the doublet, especially um, I think, like I said, if, if it just had that scooch more focal uh, length, then, uh, then it, it might just be a hair easier to hit that sweet focal spot. And might uh, that might be where that little bit of halo that I'm, I'm seeing it. Cause I don't always notice it. And I'm thinking maybe I'm just not focused in tight or something. Um, and then as well, I think for selecting eyepieces, like, if you, if you think about it, there's a lot of um, like 17 millimeter eyepieces around. And it's really nice to get close to that two millimeter eggs of people with eyepieces. So um, like getting, a, I don't know, like an Explorer Scientific 72 or 17 millimeter, 92 degree or an Agler 17, or, you know, the list kind of goes on and on and on. I know even uh doctor is talking about getting an 18 millimeter soon. So there's a lot of eyepieces to, uh, to select from versus I find with 7.4. Well, that's like a 15 millimeter, 17 is, um, 17 and a half and 18 is starting to creep away from kind of that, that two millimeter and, um, 14 millimeter is just under that. And my favorite eyepiece is the 12 and a half. So I'm definitely well under that two millimeter eyepiece. Anyway, it's sort of like a little bit easier, I think to pick eyepieces for, for an F eight versus like an F 7 half or F 7.4, but Not not a big deal, but I just I like that, and I think uh, I think that's going to be a really really neat scope.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned the the kind of the easy like that it'll be easier on eyepieces because um, I was considering the Borg 107 FL, but it's like a f five point six six yeah five point six yeah which is pretty hard on eyepieces. Now I have a number of eyepieces that I think will work fine in that, but. I have some eyepieces that I know will be terrible in that, which would be my TMB super monos. They're not good in fast telescopes. No. Um, And that was a bit of a factor because I love those eyepieces. Um, So, uh, you know, it's nice to have some wide fields for sure. But, uh, at the end of the day, I really appreciate just, a you know, a crisp pure view. And as such, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of a little bit of a longer focal length telescope, like that F seven to F nine range, I think mm-hmm. is ideal for a lot of, uh, refractors, like yeah, Apple it, refractors anyway.
0: Right. And it, it depends on how much you want to look at planets. Like, I think if I, yeah. if I didn't look at planets, uh as much or had, or wanted to have a larger um number of telescopes at my disposal, um maybe that 107 be good. But I have the 125 SD um mm-hmm. that's only F6. And it's uh sort of getting in, into that realm works pretty good with like my uh 30 millimeter mass CM or I assume it does because I used to use my uh 30 millimeter wide scan with it all the time. And that that's a nice uh wide field um, slightly larger, uh, aperture, uh, combination. I, I feel anyway. Um, but, um, again, that telescope, uh, works very, very well on planets, but it, uh, takes longer to cool. And kind of like what you are saying before, um, that can be a little bit of a showstopper. And for that telescope, um, what, what's happening with that instrument, Shane, is that the tube is small to make it lightweight. And I actually, um, I used to do is I used to mask it down to four inches for looking at planets because although the, the optics had no trouble handling the planets, the uh, like the internal um, I guess like air currents, I found there were, I think they were kind of um, sitting in the optical path, right? And probably with the TSA, I think it has a larger tube. And so any of those, those really nasty air currents that maybe are sitting inside the tube are going to be closer towards the tube edge and not sitting right in your optical path. Whereas in my five inch, which has a very small tube for a five inch um, you know, you really had to wait until the uh, the air cooled down in that tube before you could uh, get good planetary views. So I used to stop down to four inches all the time. And then it was like, I'm dragging a five inch scope, you know, around. And, and so I was using basically uh, a four inch F 7.5 for my planetary viewing. And then uh, you know, Geez, why don't I just have a four-inch f seven point four for planetary viewing instead? Makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does, and you know, planetary and double stars having that focal length is uh, kind of nice. So, yeah, uh, I think it'll be good. And you know, the uh, the teleview Genesis, in a way, is a it's not like a quad telescope in terms of uh, like a quad apocromat, but right. it kind of is in a way, right? Like, there's four elements in there, and. um in the summertime, for, anyway, like when we've been at Grasslands or any of our dark sky mm. stuff, I've never really had an issue with that thing not cooling fast enough. So, no. so I think it'll be okay.
0: Yeah, for for the observing we're doing, it's uh, it's good down there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, so we move on to some of our. Listener communications? Yeah, uh, I
1: just have one oh, okay, uh, observing ahead. report that maybe I'll share. It okay, didn't go take too it. long. Um, last Monday I, I had the day off work and it was the only clear day of the week here. <laughs> mm. um, so well, and it was only clear during the day. It was cloudy at night, I believe. Yeah. And um, I took out my two solar telescopes, so the little Lunt 35 millimeter and my board 50FL with the inch and a quarter Lunt Herschel wedge in there. Um, both telescopes are 400 millimeter focal length, and both telescopes had 18 millimeter eyepieces in there. Yep. And it just, the sun is so good right now uh, with the activity that's taking place on there. Um, it, you know, in H Alpha, the views were just stunning. Uh, There's so much to see again. Like the prominences uh, were all over the place, a lot of wedge prominences. No, I didn't see any CMEs or like big mass ejections that day. But, um, on the surface, there's a lot of filaments and, um, all sorts of granulation and I, I, I could go on and on, but, um, there's a, there was a very active region of sunspots, uh, that were kind of closely grouped together, a lot of varying size, although there were three more prominently, uh, uh sized ones that were, you know, kind of the anchoring point, I guess, for it on the sun. And there's just, again, so much detail, even in white light. Um, Mm -hmm. It really, really was uh, quite stunning. Um, So again, you know, I've said it a few times, I think, on recent podcasts, but the sun is going to be really cool to look at here for a little while. Um, So if you've ever had an interest in solar observing, I would highly recommend getting the appropriate uh, white light filter or hydrogen alpha dedicated telescope uh, to look at the sun. Um, and, and something to keep in mind here in, um, 2024, I believe is the, uh, next big solar total solar eclipse that's visible in North America. Um, that one is going to be very popular and leading up to that, the closer we get to that date, the harder it's going to be to find the proper solar observing gear. So, you know, again, if you've ever sort of had a desire to observe the sun now is a pretty good time to acquire the gear you need because it's going to become more scarce as we get closer to that eclipse. Um, it kind of happened with the last eclipse, uh, that was visible, I think in 2017. Um, and this eclipse I think is going to be even more popular just because that last one sort of broke the ice. And now there's a lot of people that heard about it and heard how amazing it was to see. So I think a lot more people are going to make an effort to see this next eclipse in 2024. Mm Mm-hmm
0: yeah i was uh listening to just a podcast not in astronomy and they were talking about going to see it uh, as well yeah pretty cool mm-hmm. all right um anything else no that's it all right um we had a email from anthony he was uh talking i'm not going to read the re- read the emails because we had i think we both had some communication with anthony he was he's in australia and trying to locate a good little ed uh telescope he thought he tracked down uh uh, Magra's 80 ED, but it turned out it was just the, uh, pre ED, which is kind of like a semi Apo. And, uh, he decided not to, not to purchase that, but sounds like it's difficult to get a good little, uh, re- uh, refractor down in Australia, more difficult than, than I would have thought. So i was surprised at that.
1: Yeah. And the prices seem quite a bit High. higher than what we pay for here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, when we do our world tour, when we go to Australia, we'll we'll come packing.
1: <laughs> A suitcase full of telescopes.
0: Just it'll just be like when the Beatles landed in New York. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. <laughs> but for telescopes. Ah, oh, ah, okay. Okay. Sounds good. I thought yeah. maybe you've been drinking
0: mimosas or something already. <laughs> oh no. <today. No>, just <laughs> Just my usual water this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I was sort of sort of hear that. And I I gotta get in touch with uh with my friend that has my William Optics uh EDED. But mine's I think mine's just the doublet and I don't think it's the fancy one. And uh definitely the color correction on my William Optics has uh, a fair bit of red to it. And uh yeah, I just found that it uh yeah it was one of those ones that they had a problem with and then they did a bunch of stuff to fix it and i think that it's it's a little bit too cobbled together um and i yeah so that's that's all i have to say about that but uh yeah anyway yeah these these little ed telescopes are so nice to have i was just so shocked that they were they were just so expensive in uh, in australia i yeah had no idea
1: yeah yeah um me either um I don't know why that is. If it's just because they're not manufactured there, but anyway, um, I guess, I guess to be an astronomer in, in Australia, it just takes a little bit more of a plan.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um, and then I like, like I would have thought that since stuff is coming from uh, sort of that uh, side of the world anyway, just instead of going uh, east, it's going south. I, I, I would have thought that prices would have been. Uh, at least somewhat comparable, and I feel like I've looked at just like randomly like Australian uh, telescope websites before, and uh, and and hadn't really you know taken it in because I think our dollar and the Australian dollar are somewhat uh, similar, uh, you know, as, as far as priced against the U.S. benchmark. So yeah, anyway. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of like, whoa, yeah, because I think like telescopes, I think there things were basically about twice the cost or maybe even three times the cost uh, in in some instances that uh, mm-hmm. that I saw. So yeah, I was sort of, sort of here about that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a way we can help solve this problem. So if anybody wants to send Anthony a really good small ED <laughs> telescope, <laughs> we'll act as the arbiter. We'll only take uh, uh, 30% commission. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, Bren found an interesting telescope,
1: though. He found a teleview. From the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, an old vintage telescope. Um, It looked like your run of the mill. So, back in in that time period, a very common telescope was like a 60 millimeter acromat that was quite a long focal length, anywhere Mm -hmm. from I don't know, 700 to a thousand millimeter focal length was not uncommon. And there's even some that were like F twenties that you could find. Um, so certainly, uh, as you pointed out, Chris, Teleview was, uh, not the company that we know as Teleview today was not, uh, was not a company in the sixties. <laughs> um, so it's kind of funny that there, there was a telescope branded as a Teleview from, uh, back in that era. Um, the, the interesting thing, it, it sort of passed some of the eyeball tests for these old vintage telescopes. Um, some of the things that I look for right away when I see them is, do you see any plastic, um, particularly like the focuser wheels? Uh, these ones looked like they were a metal of some kind, aluminum, mm-hmm. or I don't know what. Um, then the other thing I look for is, uh, does the tripod have wood legs or not? And mm-hmm. uh, if not, then you know, it's also another sort of flag to say, move on. Uh, if there are wood legs, um, it might mean there's something of value here or something that is, uh, you know, usable or, or or something that you'd really appreciate today. Yeah. So anyway, this one had wood legs as well. Um, So what I would do if I was considering this telescope um, on the label of the telescope, like right on the focuser, there's often a maker's mark, like it'll be a Z or a K or a bunch of different symbols and usually in in a circle and it's stamped on there. Um, That is what you need to know to determine the quality of these old telescopes, because they were often... Well, kind of similar to today. You know, a lot of today's telescopes come from, you know, one or two or three factories and and then they get rebadged and the same Mm -hmm. thing happened in the 60s. So the maker's mark can tell you a lot about the quality of the telescope. Um, It looked like to me, the picture was really like the quality of the photograph was not enough for me to know definitively, but it looked like a circle K, Mm -hmm. which that is sort of the... You know, on a scale of like one through ten, where ten is like top quality and one is worse quality, the Circle K is probably like a five. You know, mm-hmm. it's right in the middle of like, okay, this is now getting to the point where, you know, this vintage telescope is probably very serviceable, um, but there certainly are some better ones out there to look for, like Royal Astro, uh, Takahashi, um, even uh, like the old Pentax stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's a. Uh, there's, there's always a little bit of an investigative approach that is required for these old telescopes. And uh, yeah. that's usually my process to evaluate them.
0: Yeah. So, like Circle V, Circle T, are they sort of like more like seven and eight kind of thing?
1: Circle V would be Vixen. So, yeah, I'd say that's like a seven. Uh, circle T is, uh, I think that's Tanny, uh, T A N I. Yeah. Um, that's like a six or seven. Um, okay. Some of the Tanny eye pieces are. Um, pretty good. Uh, like they, I'm trying to think what circle T, like they made some orthoscopics that are, um, well-received. Yeah. And yeah they're bells. the ones that
0: were from uh, university optics back in the day. And I think maybe still yeah. making them for, uh, like batter or beta.
1: Yeah. 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 And there's a diamond with a Z in it. Uh, and that's, that stands for 10 Zatsu. Um, and that one might be like a four or five on the scale of 10. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a whole bunch in the Royal Astro, uh, makers, Mark. It's a symbol that I can't even really describe. You, you just have to, you have to Google that one. Um, it's a weird one to me, but, and is um,
0: Takahashi, the pyramid with the dollar sign in it.
1: Or what, yeah. are they, what do they yeah. use
0: for their maker's mark? Is that it?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like yeah. the pyramid with the TS in it, which looks like a dollar sign. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and some of the old Swift telescopes or Swift optics, um, they don't have the TS um, stamp on it. And there's a ton of speculation that the old, some of the old Swift stuff was actually made by Takahashi because huh. it looks like any... Of the Takahashi stuff that came out shortly after that generation. Um, and there's, there's kind of compelling stories that yes, it's 100% tack made. And then there's some also very compelling stories like, Nope, it's confirmed that Takahashi did not make stuff for them, but I don't know. I don't get too caught up in that. Um, the, the other good thing to do is if you have the opportunity is just to look through it at night and see what your eye tells you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: All right. Very good. Um, yeah, Peter received his Takahashi 100DZ and sky team out. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah maybe we'll read this. Uh, this is a pretty short email. we will just read this really quick. Sure. Uh, Peter writes, uh, hi, Chris and Shane. My Takahashi um, 100DZ arrived uh, today. So this is a, uh, a doublet refractor, 100 millimeter in aperture. So but a four inch scope and an F8, but it's a doublet. Um, coincidentally at the time I was listening to your podcast on refractors, I'm taking that as extra good luck. I also have <laughs> Pentax, uh, XWI pieces. Uh, he ended up getting the 40, the 14, the seven and the 3.5. And, uh, I have all those as well. They're all, uh, really excellent, uh, eyepieces. Strangely enough, my, out of that set, my most used are probably the 40 and the three and a half. Slash seven. I use the seven quite a bit. Um, the 14, uh, not so much. Um, it's a good eyepiece. It just, I have the uh, doctor 12 and a half. And that's uh, what I use in that uh, focal length. Anyway, uh, Peter goes on to say the scope is sitting, posing on my ES twilight uh, mount in this picture. He sent a photo of it. it looked really awesome. Um, I have a replacement AZ GTI back from first light optics, um, but the tack is really too big for that. Uh, He says, I like the tripod that came with the Twilight, but less impressed with the mount than I was when I got it. I think you had a similar mount or somebody had a similar mount uh, like the Twilight one. And I know the Twilight has been upgraded since. So Um, anyway, uh, Peter goes on to say, I've decided to get the Sky T2, which Shane originally mentioned to me uh, last fall. It's not available in the U.S., so I'm getting it from First Light Optics next week. I like that you can mount the scope with a Vixen dovetail underneath rather than to the side. This seems more secure for heavier scopes tonight. will be clear. So first light delight. All the best, Peter. I put the delight in. Yeah, I like to say that. Um, and then it seemed like he got the this the he got the sky T pretty quick.
1: It seemed yeah. yeah. It seemed like a few days later he sent a photograph with the, the DZ, the TAC DZ mounted on the the new sky T mount.
0: Yeah. And he, yeah. And the other thing that he has, um, it's from for but he's got the next dome, which is a Canadian company pier in his back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Patio. Beautiful setup. Yeah. Beautiful set. I just love the way it looked. And then what he had the DZ setup on, it's a Celestron mount. Isn't it? It was like a, is it a CGE? Am I getting that
1: right? Yeah. I don't, I can't remember if it's the CGE. I don't think it's the AVX, but it's, it's no. in that class of a EQ Celestron mount.
0: Yeah. Just looked like a a beautiful, beautiful combination. Um, yeah, really, really like that setup of the uh, pier in the yard with, uh, the equatorial and then the, uh, the, the refractor sitting on top of it just looked really awesome. So yeah, appreciate, uh, getting that. Uh, I think that that's a great combo. It would be amazing to meet up with Peter with his hundred DZ, my DC 100 and your TSA 100 when you get it, <laughs> that would be a, sort of a, a pretty good shootout, um, which could, which could only be bettered if we could track down somebody with a hundred, uh, FCT six, uh, hundred, uh, uh, D, which is the F the old F eight. Um, and then I think there's the slightly newer, though, just recently out of production and be still in production. I don't know. There was the, uh, 100DF9. Um, yeah, it would be neat to kind of corral all those scopes together. I'm, I'm probably missing a 100 millimeter Takahashi in there
1: in there somewhere. Well, well maybe we should just organize a... Oh, FS. A
0: full...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the FS102, FS
0: yeah. Well, there's
1: probably an FSQ, and uh, there's probably a whole bunch. FSQ106, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should just organize a 4-inch refractor star party. And it doesn't matter <laughs> which 4-inch you have, but that's, that's how you get through the gate. <laughs> Oh
0: man, Good stuff. All right. Um, let's see. Do you want to read the the next
1: email from Mark it's a little bit? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So he uh, Mark writes, Hi, Chris and Shane. Congrats on your second podcast birthday. Uh, it's a massive commitment and a constant inspiration to get out under the stars. Thank you. Thank you to Mark for the kind words. Uh, so Mark goes on to say, really enjoyed today's homage to the refractor. Uh, love those ball-like stars on an inky, uh, black, uh, inky background. Uh, had great fun recently with my old brass Clarkson three inch F-15 on, uh, in brackets rare for the UK, particularly transparent night looking at back garden Messier's. Uh, it's a fabulous thing and paired with attack prism and Bader classic orthos, a surprisingly good performer. Uh, he posted a link to, uh, some notes that he posted, I guess, at stargazers lounge, just about observing some SEAs with this old Clarkson. Um, and then, uh, Mark goes on to say, I'll, i also love the Don Mackholtz interviews and have added looking up, uh, to my listening. So looking up is Don's uh, podcast, which uh, you and I both love, um, and then Mark says, as a result of your podcast, I messaged Don and bought his guide to the Messier Marathon, which is a great field guide. Uh, the finder charts in particular proving useful as I track down the harder to see Messiers remaining. Uh, 87 of 110 so far, and some are on the way. Uh, on receipt, I was delighted to find uh that Don had signed it with a personal message, uh, actually a bit of starstruck, pun intended, uh, to correspond with the world's greatest living comet hunter. Uh, it will be the ideal companion as I get to grips with my galaxy season purchase of a 10 inch, uh, GSO dob, uh, nice. keep up the good work and clear skies. Yeah. Yeah. I occasionally, Chris, this might be the second or maybe even third time we've received an email from somebody that owns a very old, like brass telescope and, yeah. uh, I just get giddy inside when I see these things. I, I just, I'm fascinated with the old telescopes, uh, for a number of reasons, but these old brass ones, I just love the aesthetics. Um, and the, you know, the thought that they're not, there probably weren't a lot of these things produced and even less probably, you know, have made it to this point in their life. Yeah. Um, so it's super cool to see one of these things still being used. I would love to look through one of these, uh, at some point in my lifetime. Uh, I just, I think they're incredible instruments. Um, you know, and, and that 10 inch Dob is going to be, uh, an outstanding telescope too. Like I kind of think a 10 inch Dob is, is just one of those sweet spot daubs. Like, you know, we talk a lot about four inch refractors being a sweet spot. Um, a 10 inch Dob, especially if it's a solid tube is kind of that, you know, any bigger than that. And it becomes a real nightmare to try to move, uh, in transport, but a 10 inch, um, you know, is kind of just right on that line of, you know, the the right amount of aperture and the right amount of portability.
0: And Mark's in the UK. Yes. I really want him to send us a photo of Jeremy Clarkson looking through
1: his Clarkson.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't, couldn't
1: resist. And, uh, and then racing a car somewhere.
0: Race No, looking through it from the back of a, of like a Willie's Jeep, that would be, oh, okay. they, they have like the gun mount. I want to see the Broadhurst because uh, I think it's a Broadhurst Clarkson or I know Broadhurst and Clarkson made um, the refractors, but maybe this is just a Clarkson. I don't know. Um, It would be cool. Like you could have that mounted on the back of the Willie's Jeep where they would have the, uh, the, the gun or whatever it was. <laughs> and then you could, you could have Jeremy Clarkson going through a jungle or something trying to. <laughs> You know, do something with it. That'd be brilliant. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Uh, 10 inch Dob to go with that. Beautiful combination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really nice. Agreed. All right. Shall I read uh, Flippy Send an email? Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. And I, I apologize. I didn't, uh, I'd meant to reply uh, to your email, Flippy. Um, Just uh, things kind of got away from me a little bit this week. Um, so thought we'd read it on the show anyway. So Felipe wrote uh, hello, Chris and Shane. Uh, I get a little behind on listening to you, uh, as well as observing uh, during the past few weeks. So, so I'm I'm there with you uh, as well, Felipe. So my apologies for not getting back to you sooner. Um, I am moving, so have to enjoy the last few weeks of low light pollution, uh, because where he's going is uh, is going to be uh, more light polluted. He's I guess moving there in May. It sounds like uh, he goes on to say, and so Felipe uh, is in Brazil, and so he's one of our southern hemispheric observers, which is really always really cool to correspond with. He's also in the same time zone as us, I think, because often we're corresponding and it's like sort of in real time, which is really, really super neat. Um, he goes on to say the weather has been great in the last few weeks and the day before yesterday, you took a telescope out and seems that the mechanics are now working fine. The base is not stable as I wanted, even a little wind shakes the telescope, but I have plans to work, uh, this after I move, I might need thicker wood. I also need to fine tune the reduction gear, uh, as the telescope is getting a little head, uh, on the tracking. So he, uh, self-built it's a 160 millimeter telescope chain. I think it's like around an F seven or an F eight.
1: Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. I don't remember all of the details. So I'll I'll go with what your memory tells us.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and then he's creating his own tracking and, and doing some really neat, uh, stuff with, uh, with a nice sized uh, instrument. Uh, He goes on to say, I did take a look at Cirrus A and uh, he says he was pretty sure he managed to split it, which uh, yeah, that definitely should be possible in 160 millimeter um, quality instrument like the one that he's uh, created. Um, I had my 10 millimeter eyepiece giving 130 X. So yeah, that falls right in line. I am very fortunate that Sirius was about 70 degrees above the horizon. Uh, He's he's at a similar location as uh, one of our other listeners uh, that we're reading an email from. Uh, So he said it was about 70 degrees up. Um, Wow. That's uh, that would be pretty cool to see. And he's, He's always nice enough to send me uh, these these beautiful beautiful photos of Brazil, especially when we're having really nasty weather here in Saskatchewan and seeing like the beautiful green uh, landscape and in, in the parks and the countryside of Brazil. Just uh, it's like magic, right? You can almost like I feel like the humidity level in my living room goes up when I when I <laughs> see those. It just just like a breath of fresh air. So yeah. beautiful there, yeah. Um, he goes on to say, still in problems with the Bluetooth adapter. Can use the go-to system uh, hooked up to the computer, but uh, that limits me to the backyard. I Have to wait to move uh, to buy another adapter. The piece is cheaper than the shipping here, so yeah, that's sort of one advantage of of getting into a big city is that uh, it's easier to get stuff. But you're battling light pollution. Um, and then he goes on to say, if another thing comes by mail, uh, his uh, wife may not be uh, the happiest camper. Uh, I think we've all been there too. Um, yesterday I had a nice bike ride to plateau above the cliffs here. And I took my camera, managed to take my first attempt at the Milky way before the moon lit up the sky. And I'm very happy about it. So I, I, I think he means, uh, or I think what he's telling us is uh, the first shot of the Milky way, uh, the summer Milky way that we call the summer Milky way for uh, like this year, because he sent me lots of photos of the Milky way last year. Uh, unfortunately, the technology got in the way. Of me seeing the moon rise. I was on the phone with some people, uh, that wanted to do a star party here. When I saw the moon, it was a few degrees above the horizon, uh, but still very red. Unfortunately, I wasn't with my longer focal length, uh, camera lens. So, um, yeah, he wasn't able to get a shot of the moon anyway. So he sent us a couple pictures of the telescope setup. uh, looked super cool in his, uh, uh, I'm not sure we call it a backyard and in, in England, they call it a back garden and uh, it's sort of like his, uh, his back area uh, at, at his property. So yeah, really nice. Really appreciate the email flippy and all the best and good luck in your move. And uh, yeah, sounds good. Anything to add to that?
1: No, no. Um, like you said, it's, it's neat to get those emails, uh, especially with the, the photographs that he includes. It's uh, it's fun. It's neat to see a, a different part of the world that I've never been to.
0: Yeah, no, it is like just amazing, like uh, to see that I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere, and uh, I have known some other folks from Brazil, just uh, kind of coincidentally enough. So I've I have run into uh, several folks. I, I guess Brazil must be a place, uh, or Canada must be a place that um, Brazilians um, will will come to, um, because I, I have uh, like my nephew has a friend at school who's from Brazil, and. Um, When we first moved here, um, we knew another couple and they were from Brazil as well and had shown us all kinds of photos and told us all kinds of really, really neat stuff about it. So, uh, yeah, it's sort of like one of those fascinating places um, that I've never been to either. So it's really, really amazing to get that kind of those kind of shots. And also like (laughs) the the shots of the night sky, I'm always like, wait, what what's going on here? Like, here's a shot of Orion. I'm like, what? It's upside down. (laughs) Like every time
1: it gets me. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even when I go to like say 20 degrees, uh, North, uh, the night sky just seems so foreign to me already. <laughs> it's, it's funny how that changes. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, anything else to add to this
0: episode before we wrap it up, Shane? No, that's everything, Chris. All right. Well, thanks Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. We're on Patreon. If anybody wants to make a donation, I always appreciate that. And we're always excited to get emails about observing and your photos to actual astronomy at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Shane, and thanks, everybody, for listening.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.